you have the Pew Bible, it's on page 1069. Can everybody hear me? Good, thank you. Reading from John 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Oh, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go amongst so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the piece, pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And then we take up the reading from verse 25, which is the following day after that great miraculous feeding of those 5,000 men. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. May God add his blessing to that word and speak to us through what you have to say for our car. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, as our great God and King and Saviour and Redeemer, Provider, Creator. And Lord, we ask that you would give us all that we need. And most especially, Lord, we ask now that you would show us Jesus, the bread of life, that we would receive him, know him, love him, and feed on him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I want to ask you a question. That is, what is the best meal that you've ever had? Uh, you know, what's, is it a family meal? Is it uh, something that you cooked? Is it something that uh, your mum or your dad cooked? Uh, is it somewhere, something that you had once when you went to a restaurant? What's the kind of the, the top meal that you've ever had? I recently visited Melbourne with a friend, and um, I've been going to Melbourne for years, actually, to, to, to do work and, and uh, study and so on, but I've never actually really spent much time in Melbourne, and let's just say that uh, in the evenings we did a fair bit of eating. Uh, I've never eaten so well in my life, uh, and we did a fair bit of eating in the mornings and at lunchtime as well, actually. There was just a fair bit of eating all around, uh, and... And one morning we went out for breakfast to this place just near Southern Cross and someone had said to us, you've got to go to this place and try the pancakes. And we're like, oh yeah, try the pancakes, great. We went there, so we both ordered this pancake and out it comes in, in like a kind of a soup bowl deep kind of thing and it was, the pancake was about this fat and, and about that big and just covered in nuts and berries and mascarpone and, and maple syrup and, and everything. It was just the most extraordinary pancake I think I've ever eaten in my life. Totally unfinishable. Uh, had to get it taken away in a, in a doggy bag. Um, but it was up there. I don't know if it's the best meal I've ever had, but it was, it was certainly an epic, pretty epic meal. But I reckon that when I ask that question, what's the best meal that you've ever had, almost no one's probably thought to themselves, bread. That's it, bread. Bread, a sandwich. <laughs> uh, that in the light of kind of the most meals that, uh, that's, or the, the, people, the meals that some people can cook or the meals that you can get at restaurants, bread kind of seems like a little bit of a letdown, doesn't it? Uh, so when Jesus says to us, I am the bread of life, we might think that sounds kind of a little bit pedestrian, a bit, a bit sort of plain. Uh, but Jesus wants us to know that the bread which he is offering is actually the best meal that we can ever eat. Uh, it's better than that pancake uh, that I had in Melbourne. It's better than that best meal that you uh, can ever imagine. Uh, it's better than a meal from a three-hat Michelin restaurant. It's better than anything else we can ever taste. And so what we want to do this morning is think hard about what Jesus means when he says that he is the bread of life and why that's worth having. 
the whole episode begins, uh, as we saw, with this miracle that Jesus does. There's this great crowd of people following him because he'd been healing the sick. Uh, and so they're kind of, they, they want to see what else Jesus is going to do. But as, uh, as they're following him and going with him, it soon becomes clear that these people are hungry. They need food to eat. And so Jesus asks one of the disciples, Philip, what they should do about it. And Philip uh, points out that it's going to take half a year's wage just to give people one bite. There's way too many people here to feed. And so then one of the other disciples says, well, there's a guy here with, a little boy here with uh, five loaves and, and a few fish. But again, that's nowhere near enough. There's 5,000 people here, John tells us, 5,000 men here and probably women and children as well. How are they going to feed all those people? Well, Jesus does something absolutely extraordinary. He does something incredibly miraculous. He sits, sits everyone down, he prays, he gives thanks to his father, and then when the loaves and the fish are distributed among the people, everyone has enough to eat. Not just a bite, but everyone is satisfied so that at the end they gather up 12 baskets uh, full of, of leftovers. There's nothing worse, is there, than inviting people around to your house uh, you say, come on over, yep, there's plenty of food for everyone and uh, everyone sits down to eat and <laughs> you're sitting at the table and slowly what is in the middle of the table is diminishing uh, and everyone just has these little parcels of food on their, on their plates and, and people are thinking, you're thinking to yourself, oh no, I haven't got enough food, you're scrambling around in the kitchen trying to find what you can give people. That doesn't happen to Jesus. Because Jesus can create food out of nothing. He does an act of God. He shows the power of God in creating out of nothing. And so it is, uh, these people having experienced Jesus' a great miracle, when Jesus crosses to the other side of the lake, the crowd goes with him. The people are so impressed by Jesus that we're told in verse 15 that they want to make him king by force. They're like, yeah, this guy's epic. We're going we're gonna to make him our king. And you and I might think when we read that, awesome, how good is that? Uh, these people want to follow Jesus. Uh, I think if you and I shared the gospel with people and they responded like that, they said, yeah, totally want to make Jesus king. We want to go across the lake uh, and follow him. We'd be ecstatic. We'd be over the moon. But Jesus actually is not ecstatic, is he? he? He actually turns around and confronts these people and exposes the emptiness of their faith and the ugliness of their underlying motives. He says to the crowd in verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus says to the crowd, basically, the only reason you're following me is because I gave you food to eat. You're not actually really interested in me. You're not interested in who I am. You're only interested in what I can do for you, that I can fill your stomachs. And even after that, they keep pressing Jesus for food. Look at verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What will you do? Here's an idea. Do you remember what happened in the wilderness? Do you remember how God miraculously fed the people for 40 years? Maybe, Jesus, you could do that for us. Do you see what they're saying? <laughs> like, wow, imagine that. 40 years worth of free food. 
These people are thinking back to that miracle and saying, hey, Jesus, do that again. Imagine 40 years worth of free food. Now, for you and I living in Australia, um, food constitutes actually a very small part of the amount of money that we spend. It's, it's you know, only really a few percent of actually of our income. Most of our money goes on other things like housing and uh, and all those other things. But for people living in Jesus' day, 85% of their daily income went on food. They didn't have a disposable income. So to have Jesus come along with the possibility of maybe providing them free food for 40 years, that's, uh, that's epic. That's, that's awesome. But Jesus says to them, don't seek after that kind of bread... Don't seek after kind of a never-ending supply of food. He says, I am the bread of life. Seek after me. These people are not really seeking Jesus. They're seeking what he can do for them to make their lives better and to fill their bellies. It's a subtle, I think, but an important mistake. What Jesus wants is for us not to seek what he, he can do for us, but to seek him, to love him, to know him. You might think, well... Why does it matter? You know, what really matters is that we're seeking him at all, doesn't it? But you only need to think of the lives of uh, famous people to understand the problem. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, uh, some of the many famous people in the world say something like this, I find it hard to make friends with people. (laughs) Not because there's not lots of people in the world who want to be their best friend, They find it hard to make friends with people because everyone wants to be their best friend because, not because they're interested in them as a person, but because they're interested in what they can do for them. Everyone wants to be their friend so they can share in their fame, so they can share in their wealth, so they can share in their success, in their popularity, in their acclaim. That's not a real relationship, actually. Is it? A relationship founded on what someone else can do for us is not a real relationship. A real relationship is founded on, I'm interested in you. I want you. And Jesus says to these people, you're not interested in me. You're just interested in what I can give out to you. We need to ask ourselves, I think, that hard question, do I really want Jesus? Do I want Jesus? Am I seeking Jesus himself? Or am I just kind of looking out for the presence that Jesus can give me? Uh, You might be like these people, just following Jesus in the hope that he'll fill your stomach. Hoping that he'll smooth the path for you in life. Hoping that if you kind of just tip your hat to Jesus, he'll shower you with all the favours and fulfil all the dreams that you have for your life. You're following Jesus, in other words, because you want your best life now, not because you love Jesus. And you might actually even be willing to go a long way for Jesus. You might be willing to make him king like these people were. But if he's just a king who feeds you and gives you everything that you want, he's more like the genie in the bottle than the God of heaven and earth who wants to call you into a relationship with himself. 
And I think we can not only fall into the trap of thinking that for ourselves, of seeking Jesus' gifts rather than Jesus, but we can actually cause other people to fall into that trap as well by preaching the gospel in the wrong way. Or rather, not really preaching the gospel at all. That is, we say to people, come to Jesus and you'll have peace, or come to Jesus and your life will get better, which may be true, but if we're not careful, what people hear is, I'll have peace. My life will be better. What they hear us saying is all the gifts and not about Jesus at all. They don't hear us say, come to Jesus. What we want is for people to meet Jesus, to know him, to love him, to receive him, to rely on him, to trust on him. We don't want them, first of all, to have peace or a better life. We actually want them to have Jesus. Because Jesus is the best gift that any of us can ever receive. And Jesus is the source and the fountainhead of every other gift that God gives. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel highlights the danger of a gospel which becomes about personal satisfaction rather than about Jesus. He writes, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw or the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven? if Christ were not there. Jesus wants the people to know, he wants us to know, that we might be walking in a similar direction to Jesus, that we might be willing to cross the lakes to follow him. But if we're just interested in his miracles and what he can do for us and are not interested in him at all, then that's not a real relationship and we don't really know him. So having shown the people uh, that they were just seeking Jesus for his gifts, Jesus then goes on to show them that there are actually good and legitimate reasons to pursue him and to seek him. Jesus goes on to explain what it is that he can provide and what it is that they actually really need. He says in verse 27, don't work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Uh, Most of us, I'm sure, know that reality of having to throw away food which has gone bad. I think it's one of the, 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 um, kind of the plights of being a single person is that you never actually quite manage to go through all the, all the things that you buy at the, at the supermarket. Everything seems, everything seems to come in packets which are too big, uh, you know, packets of eight you know, whatever it is, uh, two kilograms of potatoes, and, you, you know, halfway through, they're all rotten and, and you have to th- throw them out. Um, or you reach, you know, you might know that experience, you reach into the, for that jar in the back of the fridge and you think, you know, it's probably still okay. You look at the use-by date, the 12th of March, 1948, and you think, maybe I can... <laughs> maybe I can push it. Uh, and you open it up and there's a kind of a small forest... Uh, of mould, and you think, oh, maybe I'll just scrape that off the top. <laughs> don't really like the people who are coming for lunch anyway. Uh, or you buy fruit, uh, and then you buy, you buy fruit, but before you can eat it, it goes bad, uh, and you have to throw it away. You cook something for dinner, and you think, oh, I'll save the leftovers for later in the week, and then it gets to kind of 
Friday two weeks later and you think, oh, I'm probably going to have to throw those out because they're not going to taste any good anymore. Uh, we spend our hard-earned money, don't we, and our, and our time buying food, making food, but it just kind of goes bad. It doesn't last. Uh, and not only does the food that we make and buy go bad, it actually also fails to do the very thing that food promises to do, that is, it fails to keep us alive. Yeah, it keeps us alive for another day, but it doesn't keep us alive forever. And yet it's sobering, I think, for us to reflect on how much effort we put into our food. Uh, in the West, in particular, I think, we're obsessed with food, we're obsessed with our diets, with what we eat. Uh, in some ways, that makes sense. If you eat rubbish, you feel like rubbish, so it makes sense to be thoughtful about what you eat. For some people, they have to be careful about what they eat because if they're, if they're not, they can end up becoming quite sick. Worse still, some of the things that we eat are killing us. It's just the realities of life. Some foods cause heart disease, others cause cancer. My sister always used to say, choose your poison. So too, uh, eating too much is slowly killing a huge proportion of the population in the Western world through obesity-related illnesses. What we eat matters. We know that, don't we? But there's also a sense, I think, in which our concern with food in our culture pushes over from kind of a diligence, a right diligence, to a kind of a sense of and an attempt at control. There's a temptation to think that if we can just nail our diet, if we can just nail what we eat, we'll nail our lives as well. So we control what we eat in an effort to control our lives, to control our destinies. We think that if we eat well, we'll live well. If we eat well, we'll be successful. If we eat well, we'll have the quality of life that we so desperately desire. We think that if we eat well, we might even stave off cancer, heart disease. We might live a few more years longer at the end of our lives and be able to enjoy a better retirement. And so we work really, really hard on what we eat. Because subtly we begin to believe that what we eat will save our lives. And yet, no matter how hard we try and no matter how carefully we watch our diets, it will never keep us alive forever. And in fact, it may not even keep us alive for tomorrow. In fact, Jesus says that not even the food that God provided in the wilderness could keep the people alive. Look at verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. It's remarkable, isn't it? Jesus, God fed the people with manna in the wilderness, and yet even that food wasn't good enough to keep the people alive. It was miraculous. He miraculously provided food for 40 years, every day. And you would think that the food that God provided in the wilderness would be the best food that you could ever get. It would have been the most healthy food. If, it was, if there was a health store selling food, it would be selling God's wilderness manna. If they could do it, they would be selling that. 
the best food you could ever get. It would have been five-star food rated, you know, that, that new government system. It would have had the five stars. Uh, it would have been high fibre. It would have been low GI. It would have been ancient grains. I don't know what that means, but it would have been that. Uh, it would have been unprocessed whole foods. And it must surely have kind of covered all the nutritional requirements for every day and, and in the exact proportions that you needed. You know, not too much potassium, not too little. And yet Jesus says that even the food that God provided people in the wilderness, it couldn't keep them alive. The people who ate it still died. Jesus is saying not only do we need something better than the food that we work for, that you and I make in our homes, actually we need something better than just physical bread, physical food. Because no food that we eat can keep us alive forever. But Jesus says that he can give us a bread which can do just that. He can give us the bread of life which keeps us alive for eternity. So I think some great questions to ask ourselves are questions like these. What does my relationship to food say about where my trust lies? How am I seeking to keep my life? By what I eat? Or by trusting in Jesus? What does the effort I put into my food say about the kind of life that I value? A life here and now? Or a life for eternity with God? What does the care about what I eat say about where my confidence is for a better life and a better future? And what do I put more time and effort into? My food or my relationship with Jesus? Jesus says, don't work for that kind of food which spoils and that keeps you alive maybe for another day. Work for the bread that brings eternal life. So Jesus tells us not to pursue him uh, just for the sake of getting his gifts, but to pursue him because he can give us the bread which keeps us alive for, for eternity. But what is that bread? that brings eternal life, and what does it mean to work for it? What does that mean? Well, in the first place, Jesus obviously says, He is the bread of life. Look at verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That is, this bread that Jesus gives us is, well, it's not something that he just kind of gives to us. It's actually himself. It's not something that he throws over the fence to us, but it's him. And then Jesus gets really confronting in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And again in verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus says you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So one of the people of the day thought he was talking kind of was almost cannibalistic. Is that what Jesus is, it means? No, of course that's not what he means. He's being metaphorical. And set within the context of this whole passage, that's absolutely clear. He's already shown that what he's talking about is trusting in him. So in verse 29 he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's what he wants people to do. He wants people to believe in him. And he's linked that belief and coming to him with uh, being satisfied uh, uh, in terms of hunger and thirst. So verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is talking about a satisfaction, a deep satisfaction and life that comes through believing in him and through coming to him. And that's what it means to work for that bread too. It means to believe in Jesus and to come to him. Jesus is not something that we need to earn, but something that we can receive as God's free gift. But what does it mean to come to Jesus and what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Those are the kinds of words that we throw around, I guess, all the time in Christian circles, but what does that mean? Well, I think Jesus wants to explain that using this metaphor of eating and drinking. Uh, for you and I, we mostly never have to think about where our next meal is coming from. Uh, we take food for granted, most of us. We take it for granted that we have food and that we'll have enough food for today and for tomorrow. But in a situation where you don't always have food and you don't always have enough your dependence, your conscious, conscious dependence on food grows. That is, you become more and more aware that you need food to survive. And every day is a struggle to find food and every day is a struggle to get enough food to eat. I remember Graham, uh, Graham Poole saying, uh, in their, reflecting in their last, about their last months in South Sudan, that when the situation had got really bad that for the first time in his life, he had to worry about where, how he was going to provide for, for his family. That is, we live, it was a reflection on the reality of that culture versus the reality of our own culture. We take food for granted. But that's not true for everybody in the world. But whether we realise it or not, the truth is that we need to eat every day to survive. Isn't, isn't that right? We eat just to make it through the day and even though we can survive for a day without eating, it leaves us feeling really, really weak. I don't know if you've ever gone a day without eating, but you, you feel powerless, sapped, drained. And Jesus is saying that our relationship with him ought to be and is actually like our relationship with food. 
To come to him and to believe in him doesn't just mean agreeing to a set of ideas about Jesus. It means living with a radical dependence on Jesus. We need Jesus to live, just like we need food to live. And so we need to live every day looking to Jesus as our source of life, looking to Jesus just like we look to food to sustain us for the day. We need to look to Jesus to sustain us for today and for tomorrow and for the life to come. To trust in Jesus means to look to him as our source of life. He's the way that we live today. He's the way that we live each and every moment of today. He's the way that we live each and every moment of tomorrow. We need to live in conscience dependence uh, on him. In particular, we need to live in conscious dependence on his sacrifice. That is, he says we need to drink his blood. What does he mean by that? He means we need to depend on his sacrifice, which he, uh, which he sacri- when he sacrificed himself on the cross in our place. We need to live daily in dependence on that and the, on the forgiveness which that brought in our relationship with God. And we need to depend on his life, the life which he lived for us on earth, the life which he took up again in his resurrection from the dead and the life which he now lives at his Father's side in glory. That's what he means when he says we need to eat his flesh. We need to live in conscious dependence on him and his life. What Jesus is saying is that to believe in him and to come to him means living in that way. It means living in dependence on him just like we depend on food for our daily existence. So the question for us then at the end of uh, this passage where Jesus talks about that is, where is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus the daily food of your existence? Is he the source of your life? Is Jesus the one that you run to in the morning to make it through the day? And the one that you run to in the evening to make it through the night? Is he the one that you look to when things get hard? When you're starving, metaphorically? Is he the one that you give thanks to when things go well? Because you know that that's where the strength came from. That's where the life is. Is he the one that you depend on for forgiveness with God? The one that you depend on for growing holiness? Is he the one that you depend on for everlasting life? Do you live every day depending on Jesus? Just like you depend on breakfast and lunch, and dinner? Or is Jesus just on the sidelines? Just a snack between the main meals of life? Is he the genie in the bottle that you just want to make your life better? To fulfill your dreams? Is he the man who never gets a thought 
except when life gets tough. Jesus says that if we're to live, to really live, he has to be at the very centre of our lives. The thing which we feed on, which we drink deeply, not just once, but every single day. Jesus says, he's the bread of life. And if we don't have him, then we don't have life at all. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we know the fragility of our own lives. We know the reality of death and decay. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that Jesus gives a remedy for that. And the remedy is Jesus himself. His perfect death in our place and his powerful resurrection from the dead. And we thank you that we can share in that, Lord, not by working hard, by managing our diets, being careful about what we eat but by seeking after Jesus and depending absolutely and entirely on him and Lord we want to commit to that now again or for the first time we want to commit to living off Jesus and depending on him. Help us to do that. Help us to begin every day and to live every moment of the day seeking after Jesus and his life and his strength and his atoning death and his promise of eternal life with he and you in glory forever. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.